You're listening to The Real Wealth Show with Kathy Fetke, the real estate investor's resource. While 2020 has been a really difficult year for a lot of people, we've also been given some unique tax provisions through the CARES Act that you need to take advantage of before the year ends, and that's really soon. But you'll also find out that you have a little more time than you might have thought you had. I'm Kathy Fetke, and welcome to The Real Wealth Show. Today's guest is a successful attorney, business owner, and real estate investor, and he is an expert at helping people minimize risk and maximize income, which is really needed here in 2020. Well, Toby, welcome back to The Real Wealth Show. Hey, thanks for having me. You promise you'll make this interesting. We're talking about taxes, and we're going to be fascinated the whole time, correct? Absolutely. Taxes are absolutely fascinating. Well, there has been a lot of projection about what people think will be happening, but what currently is in play and what do investors need to know about as we wrap up 2020? Yeah, so the big ones, uh, obviously there's questions about the Biden proposals and I'll, I'll hit on those, but what we know for certain is that there's a number of provisions under the CARES Act that are gonna go away. And specifically for different types of investors, if you qualify as a real estate professional, you need to keep your eye on net operating losses because they go away uh, for the ability to carry them back five years at the end of 2020. Uh, that's a big one. Do you I think have, what you're saying is we need to spend some money? Uh, what you want to do is either spend some money or really look at whether you want to accelerate some of the depreciation. Mm -hmm. uh, and you can actually make that decision all the way up until you file your return uh, so it could be something you do over the summer in your leisure while you're, while you're, while you're drinking a pina colada, you could say, do we want to accelerate, take some loss and carry it back five years? Do we want to create a bunch of loss that we can carry forward in case the tax cuts or excuse me, the, uh, the there's tax increases because uh, the Biden administration has, has proposed a lot of things that would actually increase somebody's taxes if they're above certain income points. Uh, mm -hmm. Quite extreme, actually. If you're making over a million bucks, you could be looking at your capital gains rate turning into 39.6. Mm -hmm. You could be looking at having your dividend rate turning into 39.6, plus the net investment income tax, you're over you're over 40%. It's, it's, it's actually a really high, and that's before your state tax as well. So some, some folks could be looking at a 50% a plus as opposed to, hey, should I harvest up some losses, carry them forward to offset some of those things so they don't happen in the future? Okay, so tax planning sounds really important and we don't have much time to do that. Although you just said that we might, if we file a late, uh, a late tax return, we have till when to figure this out. Well, this is what's interesting, Kathy, is that a lot of folks think that your taxes are due on April 15th. Let's just use that as the, the example your tax payment is due and you can avoid even penalties if you pay 100% 110% of the previous year. Like there, there's some things you can do to avoid penalty, but your tax return technically is not due until October 15th. You have an automatic extension of six months that I recommend people take because there is tax planning you could still do. You shut the door when you file your return. Uh, on a lot of it, on certain things like a change of accounting election where we take a building or we take a piece of property that's 27 and a half year property, right? And we look at it and you're, in theory, you're writing off the carpet 
over 27 and a half years. And we know carpet's not going to last 27 and a half years. You could actually choose to, to take that section, it's called cost segregation, take that portion of the asset of the, of the structure and separate out its personal property components, like things like some of the plumbing, some of the electric, some of the like carpeting and paint, those types of things. And you could depreciate them much quicker. You can actually make that election up until you file your tax return. And, and technically, if you file early, if you file uh, on, on yeah, April 15th, you could still make a change on it. You could still amend and do that on, on that type of thing. Other uh, provisions aren't so uh, flexible. So for example, if you have a 401k for your business, I can, the company can make contributions on my half all the way up until it files its tax return. And I file mine. So if, if I file a tax return, my company files its tax return in March and April, I just shut myself out of the ability to continue to do planning that affects me for last year. And so uh, I always recommend that you take advantage of that extension so you give yourself as much time as possible before you file your final return. Doesn't mean it's, you don't. It's your great time. that you're saying this because we have, uh, as you know, we do a lot of syndications. Money mm -hmm. for large developments. It's we're talking about hundreds of investors usually in that one um, development, and and sometimes we just can't get the K ones out so that they can file by April, and they get really upset. Like, don't make me file an extension. And and my comment is, why not? We always file an extension. And I thought it also helped prevent. I don't know if it's true, but prevent audits or at least put it off is there any truth to that there's there's a a function that the irs uses kind of an algorithm and the idea is that you you remove yourself from the audit pool uh what i'll say is this i don't know if that's true uh <laughs> but but the data tells me that fi filing an inaccurate return that does not uh it, that is not consistent with a k1 or another tax filing will cause you to get audited mm -hmm. and so your situation is what we see all the time. K-1s are oftentimes amended over the summer. So somebody will get something out because they have to. And then as they go through their financials with their financial advisors and their accountants, they'll say, oh, wait, we could, this is actually a repair. It wasn't an improvement. So we're going to deduct this. Mm -hmm. Oh, we have the ability to treat this in another way. We're going to take that so that we can pass down more loss to the investor, for example. Well, if you make that change in June and somebody's already filed their return based on the first K-1, they're going to have to amend their return now. And that's an audit flag, I'm guessing. That's, that. you know, the, mm -hmm. the, the, the filing an amended return doesn't necessarily trigger an audit, but what will definitely trigger the audit is a K-1 that does not match up. They'll just mm -hmm. run the numbers and say, right. hey, this K-1 says something different than this one. Mm -hmm. And uh, it'll 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 at least trigger a correspondence on it. Yeah, I I, hundred percent agree. Just wait. There's there's not really a downside to waiting to file right to extending. I could give you example after example, but uh, when option trading, when they had to report their basis, and so uh, this was about I want to say four or five years ago, all of these financial institutions were kind of using the same software and they were all incorrect. So they issued out all these tax statements to their investors. And we're talking like the big guys, TD Ameritrade and all these guys, and they had to amend them. So anybody that filed their taxes on time now has to go back and amend their tax return 
or mm -hmm. if, you know, or they're going to have an inconsistency that's going to trigger some sort of audit. It was, it was actually pretty horrific. And people are just mad as hops because they go back to their accountant and say, I need to do an amendment. And the accountant says, I'm going to charge you for my time. Sure. I mean, more yeah. and it costs them more money. I have personally found that the best time to talk to your accountant is after April, right? Because they're so busy before. Absolutely. That you're just better off having that in-depth conversation sometime over the summer when they've taken their vacation. Almost every CPI, CPA I know takes a vacation on April 15th just to get out of the office after the crazy first three, four months of the year. So um, yeah, we, we usually meet with them right around June, July, and sometimes That's in August. The perfect time to do it. When, when now you are able to look at your numbers you know what they mean, and now you can explore options. Mm -hmm. If you close and the, that and the door, CPA yeah. isn't so stressed out. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> it makes no sense that we have a system like this. Hey, let's mm -hmm. have hundred million returns due on the same date. Let's not stagger them at all. Let's just make them all due. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's all kinds of things we could talk about there. But uh, what other kind of? Well, again, let's let's zoom in a little bit more onto this topic of, of accelerated depreciation. So a lot of our listeners invest in one to four units. Um, many, maybe some also invest in apartments. Are, can you do the same tax laws apply to both? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Yes. So on a one to four unit, what can you accelerate in depreciation? All right, so you're going to break out the cabinets, you're going to break out sidewalks, fences, all those things are going to be less than the 27 and a half year uh, time frame of the structure. You know, uh, certain certain portions of the plumbing, electricity, those will all be broken down. The uh, the things like the carpeting and the fixtures, and they get broken into their components, either five, seven, 15 year property, or the everything else is defaulted to 27 and a half. About 30% of that structure is probably going to be on average, uh, a little bit more than that actually on average, it's going to be those personal property items. And then you have an option to accelerate that or just let it be as it may. You could accelerate and say, I want to take in one year, all my 15 year property, or maybe all of my seven or all of my five or all of them. So million dollar you know, let's say you have a fourplex million dollars, you're looking at about a $300,000 deduction in year one. The so it just really depends on how you did. I mean, if 2020, you didn't make any money, you wouldn't want that, right? You wouldn't want those deductions or would you? And, and, that, and that is something that you look at. We always see people trying to get to zero. Mm -hmm. And I say that may not be the best idea. Mm -hmm. What you want is really to keep your taxes below a certain threshold. You know, maybe 20% is something that you're comfortable with, maybe 25, 30%, depending on your income level. But you don't want to get hit at 50, right? Mm -hmm. And so we don't want to go all the way down to zero because maybe that's going to impact our lendability. Maybe lenders start looking at you with a raised eyebrow. And maybe because you went zero one year, you're going to have a whole bunch of tax the following year. And now you're pushing yourself into those higher brackets. Uh, so you do want to be cognizant of kind of bracket management and realistically, a lot of folks don't get the benefit of all that loss anyway, uh, because it's passive for many people unless they do qualify as a real estate professional. 
And so those passive losses, you can't use it against active income, ordinary income, or capital gains. You can't use it against it. So it just sits there and carries forward until you dispose of the property. Uh, so there are people where you look at it and you say, should I even be accelerating? Um, I could say that in probably half the situations, I would accelerate just so I don't have to pay tax on any of the rents. Mm. You know, if somebody is making $50,000 a year and they have $20,000 of rents, that's a, that's a lot different than somebody who's making half a million dollars a year and has $200,000 of rent. Like I want to offset that 200,000 because it's being taxed at hot, such a high rate. The person who's in the 22% tax bracket may be okay recognizing. So in our last house, we found out California laws, of course, and regulations are pretty intense. We had to put in a new septic and that in California is a lot of money. It's probably three or four times what it might be in other places. And, um, and so we, we tried to sell the property and we couldn't, so we rented it. And now all that work gets to be deducted, right? Or can, and can we accelerate the depreciation on it? You would be a real estate professional. So you could actually create a loss for yourself and offset W-2 income or other types of income. So it's much better to do those kinds of things on a rental which is you, if you have big capital expenses coming on your primary, you might want to rent it out for a year and do it then. Is that true? That is absolutely true. So that, that is an interesting point, by the way. So for folks that are uh, in certain areas of, of the country, like Manhattan, maybe uh, maybe not so much Manhattan anymore, but the Bay Area, where you've had huge appreciation of, of personal residences, a lot of people are stuck thinking about the personal capital gains exclusion, section 121, where they can sell a house, married couple can avoid $500,000 of the capital gains. And let's say you have a house that's worth 2 million bucks, you paid a half million, that means you're going to pay long-term capital gains on a million dollars. In California, that's not anything to sneeze about. That's highest bracket. That's 20% plus 3.8 plus 13%. So you're, you're talking about a sizable tax hit. And if you just put it into service as a rental property, waited six months or so, and then rent and then sold it as a 1031 exchange, you get to take your 121 exclusion. You still get that half a million dollar step up in basis. And then you roll that into new property. You do have to you know follow the 131 rules or 1031 exchange rules and buy more real estate, uh, but you can avoid the tax completely. Uh, so that's about a, in that situation, that'd be about a $300,000 win or a $350,000 win. And the, the only difference is knowing that it exists. Most people would say, oh, wait a second, $300,000 or I rent it for six months. Are you kidding me? I would think I'll rent it and then sell it. I thought you had to rent it for closer to a year, but I. There's no hard and fast rule. You have to convert it into a rental. And so there's actually cases where people weren't able to rent it. But as long as they put it onto the market at fair market rents and made a reasonable attempt, it will turn it into an investment property. Yeah, the IRS is wow. kind of interesting. They always look at your intent. And so if you just make it into a rental for a small period of time, probably not going to work. But, you know, again, it, if you're looking at that scenario and you're looking at that much money, maybe, you, maybe you'd go the conservative route and say, I'll put it on, I'll make it into a rental for a year. The rule... It, for the 
$500,000 capital gain exclusion, keep in mind, it's only capital gains, it's not depreciation. The capital gain exclusion is that you lived in it as a primary residence two of the last five years. So you could technically, you could sell your, you know, you could uh, rent out your residence for up to three years, sell it and still get that, that Two hundred and fifty or five hundred thousand dollars exclusion, depending on whether you're single or married. It's pretty potent, and it makes a huge difference. And people always uh, like when we talk about it. That's usually when I get somebody doing the oh, I could have had a V eight. <laughs> they're like, are you kidding? That is gold. That that is gold. I can already I can hear the people who love us right now, and I can hear the people who hate us right now. Um, let's let's talk about loopholes. I, I was on a live broadcast with about a thousand people the other day and I, I talked about loopholes. And mm-hmm. there's like, what, is it, how do you define a loophole? Is it something that's sort of a gray area or is it just simply tax law that people don't know about? Totally legal, but people just don't know about it. Yeah, loophole has a negative connotation. What I look at it is the, the IRS, uh, it, the way it works is Congress writes the law the treasury is the collector of it. And they'll oftentimes write interpretations and the IRS will get together and write interpretations. Um, they'll give incentives for certain types of behavior. So for example, during the, uh, during the downturn, the recession, they incentivized developers to build more property because we needed more properties. And in order to incentivize them, they did bonus depreciation, which says, hey, if you have certain types of property. You don't have to wait to write it off over its useful life. You can write it all off in one year and take a big deduction. And not only that, we'll allow you to carry it back and we'll let you go get some of the taxes you paid five years ago, four years ago, three, two, one. Like we'll, we'll let you carry it back and get back. And that's a big incentive and it, it incentivizes people to do building. And so our president, for example, used that provision, went back and got millions and millions of dollars that, that he says he prepaid taxes. No, he paid taxes and then they gave them back, but he used the deduction that he would have used in the future. And they said, hey, go back and get some of the money. They did the same thing under the CARES Act. And under the, this is the act that they passed on March 27th of this year to try to soften the blow of all the lockdowns and the, the effect of COVID on the economy. They just created incentives. And I don't see a negative connotation. They also said, hey, you can write off $300 above the line on your taxes. Like you don't have to worry about standard deduction versus itemized. $300 you can give to any charity. See, they incentivized a certain action. They also said, hey, Kathy, if if you're a big giver this year, you don't have to worry about 60% of, uh, of your income as a deduction for your charitable giving, you could give away 100% of your income this year and write it all off. So they put in all these incentives. And so somebody would say, oh, there's a loophole. No, it's an incentive. I could literally create my own 501c3. And this is what's bizarre. And this, I don't know if you know this, it'll be kind of fun to see your reaction. Ikea, the big furniture store, has been and always will be a charity. I didn't know that. It pays almost no tax. Oh my gosh, no, I did not know. Because he likes interior design, right? The actual cause, like it's owned by two big foundations in different countries. And then the family has a a small portion of it. Wow. Lots of things qualify as charitable activity, including real estate. 
obvious ones are residential assisted living, veterans housing, housing for low to moderate income housing people, people that are mid-level qualifies as a charitable activity. So this is really bizarre for people to get their heads around. You could literally set up a charity that does housing and you could give it your houses or a house and write off the fair market value of that house if you purchased it more than a year ago. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it like wow. once you start realizing, they would call that a loophole, right? Yeah. But it's incentivizing certain behavior. Like right. in this particular case, it's incentivizing you to make sure there's affordable housing. And most people think of it as HUD, but it's it's the HUD list and it's not 100% of it either. It's just a portion of it saying, hey, if you are a, a, a real estate landlord and you're going to buy and hold, we want you to make available properties that aren't just selling a class, you know, but, but are for the rest of us. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is what we focus on. And it works great. And so I'll give you real life example. Somebody makes a million dollars and they're like, Toby, I'm getting killed in taxes. And we have a, a, a housing nonprofit set up that they've had for a couple of years. And it's like, we look at the real estate and you say, here's one that you've owned for 20 years. You've gotten most of the depreciation out of it, but it's gone up in value. You bought it for 250. It's now worth 500. Donate the 500,000. Okay. You're going to have a little bit of a limitation. It's a 30% adjusted gross income limitation per year. So they're going to get a $300,000 deduction this year, which is going to be worth, in their particular case, was worth around 40%. So they're going to get a cash in their pocket benefit of about 100, whatever it is, 120,000. Maybe it's more than that. Um, but it's a, a sizable chunk. And they're going to carry forward the rest of that money and take it the following year and get another amount. So the, the total tax benefit to that individual might be $200,000, but they still have the house in their control. They can't just sell it and take the money anymore. It would stay inside the charity and they could pay it out as wages or whatnot. I see this uh, working with our clients. It almost all goes into that charity. It works really well. And if they wanted to write off more, they could write a check. And we could do that on December 20 or 31st. We could just say, hey, I'm going to write it a check for 100000 It saves me forty. So now I have another $100,000 and a house sitting in this charity, right? You're still deploying it. You're still able to buy real estate. You're still doing all those things. But now you're in a tax-exempt zone. Um, people that do that tend to get rewarded. And that's, and that's where we look at high income earners, especially W-2 earners. Their accountants always tell them there's not much you could do. Maybe we could do a health savings account. Maybe we could do, hey, put more money in your 401k, do, 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 right? They always come out with these basic things. That's not gonna get you much juice. This will get you some serious juice. If you're a W-2, you can give it away. And now I'm not saying everybody go out and do a housing charity. You have to be a giver number one, and it is yeah. no longer your property. Your intent is, is very important but, there, that it's not just ab- tax savings. Absolutely. But there's a lot of people out there that do a lot of good work, and they don't realize that that thing that they're doing anyway, because they're natural givers, they're always helping. Maybe, they, maybe they, they, they do things in their community, and they don't ask for any benefit, tax benefit. You could set that up and you could get huge tax benefits. Well, that, that's exactly what Real Wealth has been doing. We could be selling $20 million homes in, in Malibu, but we're 
we're buying, you know, dilapidated homes, fixing them up, making beautiful, affordable homes for people that are cheaper than it would cost to, to build it. So it, it is a service that we've been doing for 20 years, trying to yep. trying to provide affordable housing. In and of course, investors will benefit. I, I hadn't thought of this. I, I think this is going to be huge for us. And we need to talk about it in the future because a new law passed in California, you may or may not be aware of, where when foreclosures come to the market, if an institutional fund comes in, to pay cash for that, there's a 45-day period where uh, an individual gets priority if they can pay a little bit more, um, mm-hmm. which I think is a good idea because last time the institutions came in and bought everything and the, the individuals couldn't get it. Um, however, most individuals won't have the cash. If they're trying to get an affordable housing, they don't have the cash the way an institutional would. But the, the kind of loophole again is that a charity can do it. So a charity can come and outbid the institutional at least the way I understand it. So we were looking into that anyway, um, and then we can continue to provide that affordable housing, get those fixed up, and then uh, you know someone can come in and and uh, either buy it or rent it. So wow, okay, oh my gosh, we could just go on and on and on. What else do we need to know oh, uh, I, about the CARES I, I Act and what's running? That from, I, I could go on a tangent. Here's the thing <laughs> you want to know. You can for a second. You can. <laughs> um, no, because if a qualified nonprofit that does that does housing in about two years could qualify under HUD, and then it takes primary. It actually gets the HUD houses along with government agencies, so you actually buy it before it goes on the market. Wow! Uh, and they'll give you incentives to they'll do everything from providing funds to help. Uh, I mean, wow. just think of land bank where the city. Let's do it. <laughs> It's so cool. Like, I love that stuff. I love affordable housing because I think we are in dire, dire need of affordable housing. It's ridiculous. We have a waiting list here in Las Vegas of 67,000 people for HUD vouchers. Oh, wow. 67,000. That's amazing. So I say get, get on your horse, buy some properties, make sure that they're available. We don't always go and do the class A, right? Sometimes we need good, affordable housing for families. We don't always have to make millions of dollars selling it. I prefer to keep it and get that cash flow. Mm-hmm. Um, shifting gears towards tax. All right. So the the Biden proposals are kind of scary. Twenty, you know, going from a twenty one to twenty eight percent corporate tax rate, um, having what's called old age uh, disability and survivors insurance. People know it as Social Security. Uh, being assessed on income over 400,000. Like it, we, they want it to come back after it phases out. Um, those are big ones. They want to change the capital gains rate, uh, the highest capital gains rate to 39.6. They want to get rid of the 35 and 37% tax brackets and make it all one 39.6. Those are kind of the big things. They want to get rid of 1031 exchanges which everybody here should perk up and make sure that doesn't happen. It's been around for about 100 years. We want to make sure that doesn't go away. Uh, they do want to allow some of the estate tax benefits to phase out, uh, meaning that right now, a little over $11 million uh, per spouse can avoid federal uh, estate taxes, and they want that to go to about $5 million. There's a few things like that. They want to get rid of the step-up in basis, which mm-hmm. is pretty huge, uh, especially where you're at in California. You're gonna, one spouse passes, the house is no longer taxable if you sell it. Uh, and they wanna remove that and keep the, keep you know have the basis inherited. 
Mm. Um, so there's a lot of things that are if there. One that spouse are, passes. Uh, in a in a community property states like California, Nevada, I think Wisconsin, Washington, there's a few. Um, if one spouse passes, the basis on capital property steps up to its fair market value on the date of passing. Uh, it's not the same in separate property um, states where only half of it will step up that, that properties, uh, the, the part that the decedent, the, the, the passing away spouse um, would only that half. And so like in California, the whole amount will, will step up. Um, so that's, if you have a whole bunch of stocks and things like that, cat, uh, a lot of real estate, then in theory, when, when mom and dad pass, everything steps up to the, to the, the, whatever the value is of those properties on the date of passing. And for investment real estate, it means you can redepreciate. Mm. So, you know, wow. mom and dad buy something at 300,000. You, they depreciate it over the years when they pass it's worth 800,000. You're going back in and you have a new basis to redepreciate when the kids inherit. At 800,000. So you're not paying the taxes on the $300,000 property. Yep. That's exactly mm -hmm. right. And so if I gift it, this is a big one for some of you guys. I know this is going around because attorneys are great. They like to do doomsday stuff. Oh, you got to give your stuff away. You know, the state tax is going to shellack you. Just know that your, your basis goes to whoever you gift it to. So if I give a whole bunch of stuff away because I'm afraid that the estate tax is coming back, I give up that step up in basis. You've just given your tax burden to whoever you gifted. Right. I, I, I went through that. <laughs> I, 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 I understand. On, a, on another note, you can make that work for your benefit. So people call these loopholes. I call it being logical. If you have parents, for example, that you're taking care of and you're a high income earner, don't sell stock and give them money. Give them the stock. They get your basis. So if you have low basis stock, let's say I paid hundred bucks for Tesla. Now it's worth 600 bucks. There's $500 a gain. If you give it to your parents, they may pay zero capital gains. They can make up to $80,000 and have zero long-term capital gains. Give it to them. Let them sell it. Instead of you selling it and paying, you're in the highest bracket, you're getting shellacked with the tax, and then you're paying for things for them. No, give them, give them a, a low basis asset. They get your basis. So it's just being smart about stuff and, and mm -hmm. having somebody that actually knows what they're talking about so they can kind of say, hey, don't do that. This is the ramification. Do this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you really need someone like you to, uh, to look at every financial move you make before you make it. Um, it, it, there's things you just don't know. You don't know. Yep. We, and it doesn't have to be horrible. It could be fun. Absolutely. Uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, very good. And it does cost money, but it's going to probably cost a lot less money than the surprise you might get later. <laughs> this is what I always say. Taxes should pay you about a thousand dollars an hour. If you spend a little bit of time on your tax situation, on average, it's going to yield you about a thousand bucks an hour. So you decide whether it's worth it to spend some time. Some of you guys, it might be more. I've had, I had a couple where it literally was one form filed with their tax return and it saved them $170,000. It was like, you know, you can make this election. <laughs> Sometimes they just don't know. Or if yeah. you're a you know a doctor and you have your own office building, 
you don't have to be a real estate professional. We can, we can group those two activities, even though one's active and one's passive. You can still do it and take that loss against your practice. So some people just don't realize that stuff. And when they hear truth, they perk up and they're like, wait a second, what's the rule, right? We call that a loophole, right? I call that an incentive. Uh, yep. So that you Being stay smart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. What I love about your firm is that you look at um, you look at the investment from several angles, from asset protection, uh, from tax benefits, and so forth. And uh, and and you guys are all investors, so you look at it from that perspective too. So oh, yeah. uh, I know you guys. We're out of time. You you offer classes on this, so we'll make sure that's in the show notes so mm-hmm. that people can figure out how to find you. And look Absolutely. for your next seminar. And we we'll have you back. People. We love your people. We love your heart. That's the, <laughs> that's the thing that I see. I see all the folks that I meet from your organization, Kathy, just absolutely great people. I, it just, as a kudos to you, I, I, I work with a lot of other groups where they, they're very, you know, they're just kind of the dollars, but you guys seem to actually have heart. So I really enjoy that. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I was actually totally shocked in in March and April when, you know, people were losing their jobs, not anything to do with the job that they did. They, they, it was to no fault of their own and having, you know, struggling with their rents. And we had so many of our investors say, oh, it's okay. It's okay. They can, you know, we, they can waive their money. It turns out that people were able to pay their rent because of stimulus, but we had so many landlords saying we, we want to help them out in any way that we can. We need more people like that. <laughs> we need, we need so much housing in this country. It's, absolutely it's really bad next year is going to be even worse even we- worse and and unfortunately these solutions are actually the problem you know all these stimulus checks all these things that we're doing bailing companies out is only increasing the divide uh, i i got a negative review on my other podcast saying you know these ideas are going to ruin housing, you know, because it's like, look, these are not my ideas. <laughs> these are ideas passed in Congress or by one elected official uh, that, or, or an unelected official with the Federal Reserve that uh, does, makes a decision on unlimited, unlimited stimulus. You can either let, basically there's going to be a divide and you've got to decide which side you're going to be on. You know, if you don't follow, the, it's, it's like a surfer, I can't control the tides, but I know when I'm going to go out and surf and I know how I'm going to avoid crashing in the rocks by going out at the wrong, wrong time. So we're not controlling these things. We're just riding the wave. Absolutely. You're either, you're going to be on one side of the divide, choose the divide. Do you want to be on the haves or the have nots? It's, it's that simple. Kathy, one last fact that should, that, that you may already know, but almost 23% of all the money, all the U S dollars in circulation were printed in this last year. Mm. because that Federal Reserve, that quantitative easing and all the stimulus, we're talking about trillions of dollars were created. And people are like, where's my next stimulus? Where's my, you know, we do need to lock down. Where's my next stimulus? And without understanding the impact that that is going to create more of a divide between the wealthy and those who, if you don't own assets in this environment, you're going to be hurt. That's just how it is. Amen. Amen. So that's what we're doing. We're trying to help people understand that. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here again on The Real Wall Show. I can't wait to have you back. And hopefully we can do a, a few webinars to get dive in much deeper. You guys are brilliant. Thank you so much. Thanks, Kathy. 
And thank you for joining me here on The Real Well Show. You can listen to this and any past episodes at realwellshow.com. All right, thanks again for joining me and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.